the Stock Talk Podcast, where topics are covered and questions are answered across all parts of the show stock industry. Get ready to learn and laugh with your hosts, Trevor Kirkpatrick and Corey Edge. Corey, I think there's a couple people out there who may know who our guest is this time. Uh, as always, I won't uh, blow the cork yet because that's your job. You will introduce it way better than I can. I am the cork blower. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Uh, but uh, yeah, somebody who knows a thing or two about advocating for our industry, uh, we'll leave it at that and we'll let them get to it here after a bit. Um, I don't know if uh, if anybody's in the Midwest wanting to see Tulsa, but uh, somebody makes it a little easier for us up here in the Midwest to not even have to go down to Tulsa and see the show that they just did and shows that they're getting ready to do. Corey, who am I talking about? Well, you're talking about uh, Walton Webcasting. Oh, yeah. You know what's going to be cool um, coming up that I'm excited to watch is the Phoenix show. Oh, yeah. Uh, the hottest show on earth, as they call it. But yeah, Walton's going to have that uh, live for us here uh, starting on October 9th. That's today. Running, running through the weekend. That is today. Wow. How about that? Running through the weekend. Um, you know, again, we talk about it every single week, but Walton Webcasting is bringing you the show's the experience and the game film from all over the country. Uh, this, this list of shows that we have in this country is growing and guess who's growing along with it and, and there to capture every moment. And that is our friends at Walton webcasting. Go get a subscription today. WaltonWebcasting.com as always. Thank you to those folks. Uh, if you're not a fan of a little uh, segment that's done by our buddy, Greg Trev, what's that? Jingle? I love it. <laughs> all right. Well, thankful to our friends at Walton for all that they do. Um, and you know, Trevor, there's some other things that are happening uh, here later on this week. If somebody wants to be a competitive showman at one of those particular places, why don't you tell them about it? Well, of course, Show Cattle Connection is another title sponsor that they need to be in tune with. Today, there happens to be four sales. Uh, but before I just run down through those, they are absolutely monumental in trying to get Show what cattle. Was that word? Uh, I, well, it was supposed to be monumental, but it was kind of a mixture of a th- three-year-old trying to spell words. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but if uh, my brain is functioning with my mouth, maybe I can say it. They are monumental in getting show cattle into families' hands. And if you're on the other side of the deal and want to get these cattle sold, Show Cattle Connection is the place to do it. They have a huge team of experts that are willing to take time out of their busy schedules to just help you get them sold and or get them bought. They're both sides of that, of industry leaders who use the platform, who can, if you have questions about buying the cattle or maybe not so tech savvy, give them guys a a call or a text or even uh, jump on their Facebook page and they can answer all those questions. Some of those uh, sales going on, Show Cattle Connection, Henning Farms Online, Angus Heifer Sale, M. Lazy Heart Ranch, Western Shootout 13, and then the Babies to Banners brought to you by Graves Farms and Friends. JD Cattle Company also has a steer and market heifer sale all today. And of course, there is multiple sales almost every single day of the week. Show Cattle Connection is the best way to get good ones into your hands to travel the country and bring home some of them banners. Show Cattle Connection, folks. You got to use them. 
You know, Corey, I was flipping through Facebook here the other day, and I saw something that caught my attention that people are going to hear more about here in just a couple minutes, but a revolutionary showmanship showdown, if you will. Uh, we've got Jake Scott on here to dis- describe to these people what this deal is. I don't want to ruin it for everybody because uh, he's going to tell you exactly what it is, but Corey... Mm-hmm. Let's let's shed a little light on this deal and and share with people how awesome and monumental. Hey, I said it better this time. Uh, there it is. That people can get the world champion showmanship. Well, here first things first. If you think about fast forwarding through this little interview we do with Jake, because it's just showmanship, uh, you might want to just check yourself because this is great information. It's a great idea. And it really brings to just a unique opportunity to the industry for the really great showman and even the not so great showman yet. Yet. Just inexperienced. Everybody's going to be successful. That's right. But it gives everybody an opportunity to maybe say, hey, listen, it doesn't matter if I got the best one this week or not. Because you know what? We're going to go out there and everybody's on the same playing field. Everybody had the same opportunity to work hard at home to be a good showman. And Jake and and crew with the world champion showmanship competition has put that exactly together in an arena for kids, young and old, to experience and win a lot of money. A lot of money. And a lot of cool prizes. What do you, what's he say, Trev? Ten, 10 grand? Yeah, uh, to start. Prizes. And awesome prizes and awards, and it's the first of its kind, but I told him in this interview that you're going ready, getting ready to hear, this will not be the last show. It is going, okay. I, I wish, it, where was this at when we were showing? I mean, I hate to be selfish, but man. Yeah. And it's happening this weekend, folks. I'm sure those of you listening now are already registered or headed down that way. My gosh, good luck for those going. And if you aren't going... Uh, I suggest you uh, put on your schedule for next year. Yeah. Uh, Saturday and Sunday, October 12th and 13th. Trev, should I introduce these people to our guest? Yeah. The thing is, this is not a normal episode. We have a, we have a couple. We have a couple to introduce. Not just one, oh. like I mentioned before. Let's, let's get to this little interview we got with Jake Scott, uh, a guy that we're definitely going to have back on the show to talk a little bit more about what he does outside of the world champion showmanship competition, but real excited. Folks, like I said, we've got a bonus guest for you. Uh, This is very unique episode for you guys. So uh, we've got an interesting event that we want to promote for you guys. So man, why don't you tell us a little bit more about it? Trevor and Corey, we appreciate the chance to talk to you guys here on Stock Talk today. We love your podcast and what you're doing, and it's a real pleasure today to speak to your listeners about something innovative that we're doing. And Jerry McPeak uh, from Oklahoma and myself have talked for years and years and years about showmanship and the importance of showmanship. He and I work together at his camp that he holds for kids in the summer called Be a Champ Camp. And a big emphasis and a lot of energy is devoted during those three days to showmanship. And we teach a lot of showmanship. We judge a lot of showmanship. And um, over lunches and conversations and time together, we've agreed that there's two problems with showmanship. 
The first is everyone talks about how important it is. And they talk about how the kids need to be involved with it. They talk about um, putting the extra effort and the time that it takes to be really, really good. But we found that when you go to the shows and you actually compete in showmanship, all that talk gets kind of cheap. It still takes a backseat to the actual uh, cattle show in our case or other species. Um, and it doesn't quite ever capture the glory or the prestige as the champion heifer or the champion steer. It seems to be always at the end of the page if it's even mentioned, or sometimes in the magazines, there's not even any mention of who won the showmanship at an event. So we didn't like that. Uh, certainly, there wasn't any money behind it if you did win. It mm -hmm. was an honor um, to win something, and, and certainly we support that. But we felt like it deserved some of the same clout in terms of the financial support it's given as the actual cattle competition did itself. So that's the first problem. The second problem that we saw with showmanship is that many times you ran into judges, unfortunately, who didn't enjoy judging showmanship. They weren't comfortable evaluating it. They certainly weren't comfortable in their verbiage or the language that they used to describe what it is they were looking for or what they liked or didn't like in showmanship. And that's not a knock on the judges, but the fact is that um, in showmanship, unfortunately, you have a greater chance of running into judges who simply don't have the experience or the competency they need to judge showmanship at a high level. And so we set out to solve that. And what we've started and what we want to talk to you about today is the World Champion Showmanship Contest that's coming up this October 11th, 12th, and 13th in Shawnee, Oklahoma. Shawnee is just east of Oklahoma City, right on I-40. And we've set out to solve those problems. So in our contest, this will be, guys, a 100% showmanship-only contest. Uh, we're going to do two or three unique things. The first is, instead of showing typically in, in only three divisions, we're breaking our divisions down uh, much more fairly. We're going to have five divisions, starting with the fourth and fifth graders, and working its way up to the oldest division, which will be the seniors and those kids who graduated last May and are in their first year of work or in college. They'll still be eligible to show. At the end of those two days, on Sunday, we will crown five world champion showmanship exhibitors from each of those five divisions. But here's the part we're really excited about. We're going to put our money where our mouth is. And this showmanship contest has been supported, the idea, by some donors who have stepped up very generously. We are going to have 100% payback of the entries plus $10,000 added money. And Whoa. here's what that means for the exhibitors. You're going to be competing over those two days for between twenty, thirty, possibly $40,000 in cash. And that's in addition to some really neat prizes that will be given away, too. Holy smokes, Jake, you guys got a lot of good stuff going on there. It's so unique to have a, uh, and the title of it's incredible too. I mean, not everybody has a chance to say they were crowned a world champion showman, uh, you know, especially their age group. But, you know, one of the things that you bring up is so key um, in that good livestock are usually exhibited by good showmen. And sometimes those good showmen don't have a chance to really showcase their skills or they don't choose to. And because there's not really any, like you said, incentive uh, to do it. And so now 
here's an opportunity for kids and families uh, that are competitive in the show ring to be evaluated by uh, experienced judges that know what it takes to be a competitive showman at a high level. And not only that, but then you have the chance uh, to make some money off of it too, uh, depending on, on how well you do. So really cool event that you guys are putting on uh, my, my, uh, my applaud uh, to you guys for stringing all that stuff together. Um, so quick question, and this is, this will be of interest. Um, will, will there be any, uh, fitting competition or anything like that along with this, or is it just a blow and go? Uh, we're, we're here to show we're not here to fit these animals. How's that going to work? So here's how the show's going to work guys on Saturday. We'll have two rings going. You'll have two opportunities to make the finals. You'll show if you're an exhibitor in each ring on Saturday, it's a blow and go contest. And so we're going to look at the showmanship. We're not going to worry about fitting. We're not going to worry about clipping. But on Sunday, just to add some clout to the event, we are going to ask the exhibitors to fit their cattle. Now, that'll be during the finals on Sunday. Are we going to judge clipping? Are we going to judge fitting? Absolutely not. But it is part of the experience, and we want this to be an experience for the exhibitors. And so we're going to ask them to clip and fit. But here's what's different. We're going to ask that to be a junior-only event. So as much as we appreciate the professionals who are involved in this business, the clippers and the fitters, we're going to make this a junior-only event. So the kids will fit their cattle. They can have other junior kids, friends, help them do the fitting. But it'll be just the kids that participate in this. And again, it's just to add to a little bit of the look and the prestige and the presentation of the cattle. We won't be judging that part. We'll only judge the showmanship. But the Sunday part of the competition will be fit. Awesome. That's very cool. Now, a big question. Do we know the judges yet? That's the questions everyone has asked, and we've went back and forth on whether to release that or not, and here's what we've decided to do. We want this to be impartial, and one thing we love about showmanship is that it is the ultimate level playing field, and you made a comment earlier I want to pick up on, good livestock. Nobody loves looking at good livestock more than the guy you're talking to, and good cattle is what gets me up every morning, and we work really hard here at our operation to breed a lot of good cattle. But I'll use myself as an example. When I was young and growing up, I think the most expensive calf I was ever able to afford to buy was a $3,500 calf. And I showed several that didn't cost that much. So we had to be good at showmanship. We had to be good at feeding. We had to be good at clipping if we wanted to compete with those kids uh, that had a five, ten, dollars or $15,000 one. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what I like so much about showmanship is that no matter where you got your calf, if it came out of grandpa's pasture or if it was the lot one and the biggest sale in the country, you've got a chance to whip anybody in showmanship. You bet. And that's really the heart of this competition. And for that reason, we want to try and do as much as we can to maintain the integrity of this and to keep that track as level and keep that playing field as flat as we can. And so you'll find out who it is on show day, but I'll, I'll give you a sneak peek. There will be both men and women who are judging the contests. There will be names that are world-class, nationally known showmanship and cattle judges that will be here. And there will be some new names who are extremely experienced and have judged a lot of showmanships, but that you won't be as familiar with. So we have intentionally got a mix of both men and women, some that are more well-known, some that are less well-known. 
And we're working hard to keep the integrity and the fairness at the highest level in this event. Well, what an incredible idea. Folks, uh, Jake Scott joins us to explain the World Champion Showmanship taking place on October 11th through the 13th. Is that correct? That's right, in Shawnee, Oklahoma. Uh, Jake, Jake, how do people get entered for this contest? Great question. So we'd invite everybody to visit our webpage, and you can download an entry form there. You can read more information. My phone number will be on that website, as will Jerry McPeak and his family. And so that website address is www.worldchampionshowmanship.com. So worldchampionshowmanship.com, or certainly jump over to our Facebook page by the same name, like it. We'll be sharing a lot of information here in the days and weeks to come, including some awesome new prizes that are being added here as the event grows closer. Uh, we've been blown away with the support of people who have stepped up uh, to this event. And uh, one one guy actually has uh, donated a custom-built trophy saddle that will carry our logo on it that one of our champion exhibitors is going to take home. So it's a first-of-its-kind event. We're going to do a lot of things out of the box, and we're really, really excited for it. That's awesome. I'm excited, too, and I don't even own a calf. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we can fix that. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks so much, and I hope everybody just took notes. Uh, You better be down there in Oklahoma, October 11th. We are excited to hear the results from that. Thanks, Jake. Trevor, Corey, we appreciate you guys. We love what you're doing on the podcast, and keep up the good work. You bet. Thank you. How about that? Well, the big one here this particular episode just so happens to be a young woman, an advocate in our industry, who has gone viral for her response to an Ellen DeGeneres video asking consumers to eat less meat. Uh. I don't like that. She's a fifth-generation rancher from South Dakota. Her and her family operate Knowles Limousine. So if you ever question her relevance in the industry, you shouldn't after you listen to this. She's an author and blogger for Beef Magazine. We talk about the importance of what it means to be a good advocate for agriculture, what it means to be a show mom, and how all these things fit together in the grand scheme of things. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Miss Amanda Red. The uh, interview we have today is one we've been looking forward to, and it happened pretty much within a couple of days. Um, we have Amanda Radke on with us, and she has been a kind of an overnight sensation, but I don't want to say overnight because what we've seen from what you're doing, and you've been doing it for a while, it's just becoming the spotlight in a very positive manner. So, Amanda, thanks so much for jumping on with us. If you wouldn't mind, just tell everybody who you are, what you do, and where you live if they don't know you already. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of the podcast, so this is really exciting for me to have this opportunity. I guess just a little bit about myself. I'm from Mitchell, South Dakota. Um, my family owns Knowles Limousine, and I'm raising the sixth generation of, of ranch kids um, on our operation. Uh, we sell bulls privately there and also uh, go to different stock shows, I guess, selling bulls that way. And then um, my husband and I also started Radkey Cattle Company, and we uh, market Maine and Jew cattle and do online sales or private treaty and also work with some jacks in the area too to get those heifers moved in the fall 
Uh, so that's kind of what we do on our on our ranch on a daily basis. And then I, I take what we do outside and I um, use my pen. And I've been a blogger for Beef Magazine for 11 years now. I write every Monday through Thursday about topics like what's happening with Ellen DeGeneres right now. And and so that's my passion. And, and I guess on the side, I, I'm a children's book author. I've written a couple books that are agricultural accurate um, and ranch themed. And I travel the country speaking to egg groups and, and also going into elementary schools and promoting egg literacy. So I think that would kind of wrap me up in a nutshell. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so you're kind of a, a jack of all trades for us promoting the agriculture industry, which is awesome. Um, and we will get into the Ellen story um, before long, but we have a bunch of different questions we're going to throw at you. So uh, just kind of going into your background here, uh, you said you raise uh, some cattle. What are those cattle? You said limousines, I think. Um, and how much do you have? And, uh, you know, is that kind of a, a long time story there? Sure. Um, yep. So Knowles Limousine was started by my, my grandpa, Elvin, um, in the early 80s. And we've been selling bulls, um, I guess, going on, what, 40 years here. And um, so my, my husband and I are back home with my parents on the operation today. And uh, I guess we have Purebred and, and Limflex and really focus on, you know, reaching that commercial cattleman and, and selling bulls that work um, and those operations. And then the, the main side of things is kind of our treat and our, our fun. Um, my husband comes from a stock show background and really fell in love with the Maine and Jew breed. And so we'll raise pretty high percentage Maine and Jew calves and, and sell heifers, like I said, in the fall. And, and so that's kind of a fun complement to our limousine business. And, uh, there's a lot of debates in our house over which breed kind of is is the favorite, as you can imagine. Yes. <laughs> Makes for fun dinner conversation. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so when it comes to uh, breeding those cattle and, and stuff, uh, you guys, uh, do you have like an extensive ET program or, you know, mostly AI work? Uh, sure. Yeah. So um, we do have some donors kind of in rotation right now. Um, I guess maybe a highlight on the main side for us was a few years ago, Walker's uh, showed a heifer, an I-80 by Sue that goes back to a GVC Jasmine. Um, and she kind of had a good run. Um, she was champion junior at National Western and reserve champ in the open show and, and reserve junior national heifer as well. So that was pretty fun. And, and then on the limousine side, you know, we, I guess, have one pretty cool cow that I'm excited about. Um, she's a sister to the Windfall Sire. She's a Meg Skill Paint out of Arrowhead. And our kids aren't showing yet, but I anticipate um, using some of her future daughters um, when we start showing ourselves, I guess, again, in a couple of years here, once our oldest is in 4-H. Oh, yeah. That would be yeah. exciting. Yeah. Um, so Amanda, you've got this incredible website, and if if nobody uh, has been to it and visited you yet since you this Ellen uh, story went viral, uh, it's amandaradke.com, correct? Uh, yes, that's my personal site, and so I do, like I said, I speak um, all across the country at ag meetings. So it might be cattlemen's or you know women in agriculture or farm bureau, you know those types of events. Um, so I do a lot of keynote speaking. And so there's information on the website about that. 
Um, and then my children's books are titled Levi's Lost Calf and Can Do Cow Kids. And um, I, like I said, I get into schools and get to teach kids about where their food comes from and uh, really highlighting the rancher's role in, in the story, because so often I think we see the, the cow is the one that's the main character and he walks on his back legs. And even if he's a beef cow, he's got dairy spots. And um, so trying to kind of change the way that we are presented in front of these elementary school kids. Um, and those books were designed for the classroom. And so I guess promoting egg literacy is really a passion project for me and, and getting that message in front of young kids. And so, yes, that's the website. Um, but if folks want to read my blog, that is located at beefmagazine.com. Yeah, you've uh, seemed to be a progressive blogger as far as that goes. And um, I guess we can jump right into that topic. What what made you start a blog? I guess it's uh, it can be many ways, but... And then on top of that, maybe what are your most popular or favorite topics that you wrote about? Sure. Well, I, I started blogging as a high school kid. I was a national beef ambassador, which is a program of the beef checkoff. And you know, this was 2006. And so blogs were brand new. Facebook was brand new. I mean, social media isn't what it is today. But um, I had no idea it would become a huge part of my career and my job. Uh, but I started this blog and I thought, oh, the only person reading it is my mom. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I ended up, you know, writing through college and kind of focusing on beef issues. And then I had an internship with Beef Magazine in 2008. And I had approached the idea with them that, hey, I think we could really build a cool community for your website by adding a blog component. And so I pitched them that idea. And the Beef Daily blog was born in uh, September 2008, and I was able to then take that opportunity, uh, that writing gig, um, and return home to the family ranch. And so I've it's been kind of the best of both worlds, being able to have that flexibility um, to write from home and and have that outlet and and use my degree in egg communications, but then also be able to go you know feed hay or or help with calving or do what we need to do outside as well at the same time. You bet. No, Sandy, I bet, I bet your husband appreciates that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes we have to work on boundaries. Like I have a deadline that that hey, or I'll be your gate getter in a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Give me a second. But <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> but no, it's good. Yeah. So I want to I want to jump back briefly to to um, your children's books and you know what got your interest in in wanting to or starting to write those books. I know we've got. Uh, some listeners out here that are probably, you know, could potentially be thinking down the same path. And and so hit us with some of that. You know, I've just always been really frustrated with the lack of egg accurate books out there on the shelves today. And that's really what prompted me to write first Levi's Lost Calf came out in 2011. And then uh, the second book, Can Do Cow Kids, just this March. Um, and I work with an incredibly talented illustrator. Her name is Michelle Weber, and she's of Weber Cattle in uh, Lake Benton, Minnesota. Um, went to college with her, and she's just this amazing artist. Um, and we've teamed up, and I guess our our mission moving forward, and this is like hot off the press here, so brand new, um, but we've started a new business called Egg Storytellers, uh, where we're teaming up with commodity partners to tell their agricultural stories. And so book number three is in the works right now. It's actually a, a deviation from the cattle business. We're working on behalf of Georgia peanut growers. 
Uh, so we're talking about peanut butter a little bit, which is which is a different change of pace, but we're flexing our muscles on on what we can write about. Um, but whether it's pork or dairy or um, cotton or corn, uh, we want to get the accurate stories of how these products, you know, benefit consumers and and our society. And so that's kind of our mission. And um, you know, I invite any of your listeners if they have an organization or a commodity group that they represent, we would love to work with you and and get those books on the shelves for, for kids to enjoy and, and learn from too. Yeah, that's really cool because, and, and honestly, I think, you know, even within our own industry, um, there could be some more um, accurate writing or, or just knowledge exchanged between uh, the show stock industry and the commercial sector, because, there is still somewhat of a disconnect and whether we like to admit it or not, uh, the cattle industry is probably the closest in being connected in terms of the show ring and what the commercial industry is doing. Uh, but you know, when it comes to, to show pigs or, or sheep, uh, goats, even, you know, there's, there's a large majority of folks that don't get it, um, on both mm-hmm. sides. And so I think, you know, even opening the lines of communication that way would be kind of cool. And, and uh, you know, for a for a commercial hog producer to to you know, understand the value of what we do in the in the show ring, um, and, and what we're teaching kids and and what breeders do to advance genetics and and things of that nature, I think it'd be kind of cool. So I love uh, oh, what I would you're doing absolutely there. love. I would love 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 to write a story about county state fairs, junior nationals. You know, if we could find the right partner. I think it would be such an incredible story. And, and I, I too see it where there's this disconnect between the commercial and the stock show side of things where people, you know, want to discount um, the junior shows and these families that are going to these events. Um, But I say you guys are, you guys, and I say you guys, I'm there too. Um, We're on the front lines where we're interacting with the consumers at these events. And we have a really unique opportunity to share our agricultural stories while being at these state fairs or junior nationals. And so I'm, I'm very passionate about telling that story. And I think it's, it's the youth that are out there doing the work and being in the public eye that could really be a valuable resource for the entire agricultural industry. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's that, it's that exactly because, you know, if, if the animal rights activist or if the uneducated, uh, you know, parents with their kids running through, uh, I mean, the chances of them going to a, a county or a state fair are a lot higher than them going out to a pasture or a feedlot somewhere. Yes, absolutely. And I, you know, it's tough. I get it. You know, you're, you're fitting your calf and you got five minutes to get to the, to the ring and you're, you're covered in, in paint or glue and you're, you're frazzled because you're running out of time. And sure enough, here comes this, you know, massive, family with the mom and her triple stroller and their <laughs> balloons and and the kids running around and they say you know can I pet your cow and it, I mean it's it's frustrating and in that moment when you've spent months and months getting ready for this moment to compete and you've spent how many dollars getting there it's pretty hard to say yeah I want to be an advocate right now um, and what <laughs> yeah. I always say is you know tell the people hey we would love to visit with you we're headed to the show ring we invite you to come watch and if you want to catch up with us after the show, um, you know, yeah, sure, you could pet our cow or we can talk to you about agriculture. Um, but it's just, 
kind of hard keeping your cool in the heat of the year, heat of the moment, and and making the time for for these folks when when you're there to do a job and and to compete. Oh yeah, I mean, anytime a banner or anything is on the line, as far as uh, competitiveness goes, it's always very nerve wracking and. Uh, but yeah, if we could take two minutes just to say, hey, you know, we're a little busy right now, but I'd love to speak to you in, say, 15, 20 minutes, uh, that would go a long mm-hmm. way with somebody that instead of get that trailer out or get that stroller out of the way, uh, I think right. it, it can really go a long way. <laughs> but I think that's where the children's books uh, come into value, um, because not only are obviously the kids getting the story in the classroom, I always think of the inner city schools that have hardly any access to agriculture at all visually. Uh, They're never on a farm unless they jump on a bus and take a field trip. Well, not only are the kids getting that story if they were to be in an an inner city classroom, but the adults that purchase that book or read that book, if they don't know the true story, rather it's a kid book or not, they're still gaining that knowledge that we're so passionate about sharing. So I think it's a very good idea that you had and you're going to continue to push some out it sounds like so um you know not only are the kids getting the knowledge but the the parents who purchase them and the teachers who read them are are going to have that same thing now i saw a couple social media posts that you've went and read some of these books yourselves and i know you're a speaker and we can get into more of that later so uh is that something you do regularly to kind of promote these books uh, yes, I try to get into schools or, you know, libraries, summer reading programs, things like that as much as I can. And it, it gets tougher and tougher to get into the classroom because these teachers, you know, have to really focus on that common core and those standardized testing preps. And they're so limited in how much time they have. But these books were really written and designed to meet those standards. And so these teachers can, even if I'm not there, they can take the books and use the lesson plans that correspond with them and teach those core subjects, you know, writing, reading, math, science. And so that's kind of what I keep in mind when I'm writing the stories, but also going into the classroom is just awesome. You get all kinds of cool questions or funny questions. I was in California a few years ago reading Levi's Lost Calf and uh, one of the kids asked me, so Amanda, how does the baby calf get into the mama cow? And <laughs> Well, we're not going to talk about the birds and the bees today, kids, yeah. but I said, When a daddy cow loves a mommy cow. cow. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I said, well, do you guys know what a boy cow and a girl cow are called? And they didn't. So we talked about bulls and heifers. And then I said, uh, go ask your mom the rest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was not probably the best gift for those parents that day. Yeah. But I didn't get chuckle out. But you only hope the parents know the answer, too. <laughs> That's true. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, no, but it's fun. It's fun. Hey, you got a diesel truck? Check out Fleece Performance. Oh, you got to. If you don't have a diesel (laughs) truck, that's fine. You could just go buy one from our buddies at Brad Howell Ford, and then you can go check out Fleece Performance. You know what's really cool about Fleece Performance, Travis? Chase Fleece himself, one of the owner operators here of Fleece Performance is a show pig guy. Yeah. So he gets it and he understands what your vehicle needs in order to put down the miles and get from point A to point B every weekend when you're out showing, or if you're just hauling cows around the farm from pasture to pasture, you got to load those crazy things up in a big you know, trailer. That's you know, probably been beat to hell and very heavy. Might I add, they can pull it. Yeah. 
So you know what? Fleece Performance has a complete lineup of race-proven products for your truck, everything from their famous drop-in Cheetah Turbo Chargers for Cummins, Duramax, and Power Stroke to injection pumps, lift pumps, and cylinder heads. These guys flat get it. Just go visit fleeceperformance.com or drive by their facility in Pittsburgh, just west of Indianapolis, Indiana, on I-74, and you won't regret it. It's an incredible place. You can eat food off the floor there. What a deal that Fleece Performance is bringing to the industry. Go get that diesel truck tuned up. Get all the cool things dropped in it so you don't have to worry about blowing your truck engine up on the way down to Texas. I'm adding back. (laughs) Thank you to Fleece Performance. Back to the show. Hey, time out. Don't forget, 10% off, folks, if you're willing to go on their website. And if you need some type of work done to your truck, use promo code STOCKTALK and get you 10% off on their website. If you didn't love them now, you ought to. Well, Trevor, I think uh, we've got something that uh, we'd like to share, a little audience listener topic. And that being said, topics from a hat. Folks, as always, topics from a hat brought to you by Fierce Threads. The only hat that we put on has been embroidered by Fierce Threads. Fierce Threads, your number one source for high-quality screen printing and embroidery. Embroidery. Boy, these guys are going to hate me. Embroidery is the word I'm looking for. Put your business success at the forefront and upgrade your apparel today with Fierce Threads. Man, I was doing real good with those ad reads until that moment. It's okay. I'm even harder with words, so maybe I need to start with children's books to to help me out a little bit. (laughs) That's right. I can can hook you up. All right. Awesome. Uh, Perfect. All right. Well, uh, this is a really awesome topic that we got actually this last week. So Nick on Facebook says, uh, why do we go buy these um, animals with large amounts of money, but then complain to people on social media or in person about their market value? The animal is not even a tenth of what we spend on it. We all do it, and we all still complain about it. So interesting topic, I think, um, because you know I'm I'm very involved with some of the 4-H and FFA families, and I, the one of the first things I tell them is, "Hey, we're not in this to make money. This probably isn't the gig to do it." So, Amanda, we are dying to know what you think about Nick's topic here. <laughs> Well, you know, I think when people go to social media to complain about the market value, they're probably more than likely talking about the, you know, sale barn price that week. Or I, I guess I wouldn't lump in the the price of a show steer heifer yeah. in with with the price of, you know, just a commodity beef cow. But um, yeah, no, I think I think we have to be very careful about what we rant about on social media because while we, you know, can, you know, commiserate with our fellow cattlemen and women, uh, there's other people that are reading it too. And um, so I'm mindful of that. And, and I guess, yeah, it's just a tricky thing. And, and when it comes to showing cattle for us, we're, we're promoting our genetics and our seed stock program. And ultimately, we're not necessarily um, there just to compete. We're, we're building kids. We are growing the next generation. We are doing it as a family and connecting with our friends and like you said, it's more than just making money um, when you're showing these calves. So there's a lot. It's an investment, really, in our future. And um, like I said, it develops young people, and I think that is priceless. One hundred percent. I think the the probably the biggest gripe in in this with this topic 
probably goes along the lines of, uh, you know, especially Louisville or, or shows like that, that are, or, well, Louisville's not terminal anymore, but you know, when it was, I mean, those Packers, those local Packers would take hogs for 10 or 15 cents a pound. And, and Mm -hmm. that's, you, you, you can't, you know, justify getting rid of something that, that, at that, you know, low of a market right. price compared to what it, what it, it normally is. Um, but in the same sense, uh, it, it's no spending extra money on a show bear or a steer or whatever, uh, is no different than going and buying a, a $60,000 truck. And as soon as you drive that thing off the lot, it depreciates in value. So, mm. um, you know, but it's something cool and fun that you want to drive and have. But at the same time, you know, you're never going to get the same return on your investment that you put in um, other than the use that you get out of it. And I, I look at show stock the same way is, you know, if you're going to go spend money to go and, and try to win a banner, uh, you just got to do it. You know, if you if you think that extra thousand bucks here, or hundred bucks there is going to you know allow you the opportunity to buy a better piece of livestock and then you put the hard work in all summer long uh, or, or wherever your target show is and you hit the, hit well, the, uh, yeah. So. Well, and we spend, I mean, families can spend a lot of money in a lot of ways. I mean, they can buy a boat and a camper and go camping every weekend. They can be on a traveling baseball team and spend lots of money on hotels and traveling that way. Uh, to me, it's an investment in families and how you want to spend your time. And if you're, if you're going to go to all these shows and spend the money, then it's probably worth it to invest in a good calf to drag along with you too. If you're right. spending all that time in the barn together and, and having fun doing it, um, you might as well have fun at the <laughs> front end of the class versus the, the bottom end of the class if exactly. you can. So. <laughs> and the last, the last thing I have to say about this topic is I'll never forget uh, shout out to bu- my buddy, uh, Ernest Donahoe out there in California, but we had a really good conversation once about, uh, kind of this topic. And I asked him once, you know, how do I get through to the families that we're investing in the kids? Uh, it's not really to make money. And he says, just one time, go up to the mom or the dad or both after they win a show, if they're lucky to do it, or after they approach their goals and say, what is that Barra weather steer, whatever it is worth if you're standing at the backdrop? Cause I bet you the mm-hmm. answer would be it's priceless. No matter what that mm-hmm. cost of that animal was, it's the journey that it takes to get there, the cries, the tears, the blood, the sweat, and all of that that gets involved in that animal to get there. That's where your money's being made. And I was like, wow, mm-hmm. good job, Ernest. That's, that's something I never thought about. But now I never, I never forget that when I, when I go out and talk to these families. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely. I get it. It's, it's something that you know, we wish, uh, you could try to make some sort of money on. Uh, but unless you're a breeder uh, of those animals, it's, it's not likely that you're going to, uh, you know, we typically, whenever we showed uh, cattle, hogs, whatever sheep at the uh, County fair, I mean, we just end up taking them home after the auction anyway and put them in our freezer. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I get it. If you're, if you're in it to try to make a little money back when you're all done, um, you're probably not in it for the right reasons. Yeah. And you can, if you win, I mean, that's just a rare occasion, but yeah. Well, I think, you, I think parents can still ground these lessons in financial realities too. Yeah. I mean, 
kids learn about the cost of feed and the vaccinations and the traveling expenses. And they can understand, you know, what is being invested into this animal and why. Because I think so often then kids, they fall in love with showing cattle and it's fun and you're, you know, at a public place and hanging out with your friends but then maybe they don't have a strong grip on the realities of the finances and that doesn't hit them until they're adults and paying for it themselves. And so I think there are a lot of financial literacy lessons that can be taught to our kids, even if the dollars and cents maybe don't end up in the green, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of yeah. the, the show. Yeah, that is huge. That's a good point. Um, so Nick, that's an awesome topic. We appreciate your submission. Anybody who's listening, you have the chance to get your topic on Stock Talk. Just send us a message, email, or whatever on any social media platform. We're available on all of them, uh, and submit your topic into the hat. Uh, let's uh, let's dive into to some of these speeches and, and uh, opportunities you've had to to be in front of folks, um, Amanda. What what's typically um, what's been your resounding message? And then some of the most memorable speeches you've delivered. Sure. Well, I guess, you know, I got started doing speeches in 4-H as an eight-year-old and and kind of loved it, loved the com- competition side of things. Um, when I was a national beef ambassador at that time, I was a senior in high school and getting ready to compete at the National FFA Convention. And, and maybe some of your listeners would be too young to remember, but at that time, uh, Carrie Underwood was invited to sing at the convention and she had just gotten done with her American Idol tour where she had wa- wore a Vias for Vegetarian t-shirt and she came from an Oklahoma ranch um, but was donating her money to the Humane Society of the United States and they of course have openly said they want to abolish animal agriculture and so that was kind of the first uh, thing I ever really did that brought me into the public eye and really got me um starting really speaking on a professional level. Um, I led a walkout at the convention, um, kind of encouraging FFA kids to stand up for animal agriculture and also, you know, bring awareness to what these activists were up to. Um, Because at that time, so many people thought that they were just saving the dogs and cats. And we Mm -hmm. know better now. Right. Um, So that was really kind of a pivotal moment for me that got me uh, really speaking and, and traveling. But now today, I guess I, I travel probably a couple times a month all year long and all across the country and, and into Canada. And I, I focus on consumer trends. So, you know, what is society saying about agriculture? What are the misconceptions? And, you know, trying to provide uh, producers with the tools they need to uh, change the rhetoric, balance the conversation and get the right information in front of our customers. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, that was interesting. I guess I, I didn't put two and two together uh, about the story you told me about the convention. Um, she's very, very mm-hmm. open now about her stance on animal agriculture or the lack thereof, yeah. I guess. Um, and now she right. has her own show. And, you know, that's that's worrisome to me that people aren't just they're very starstruck by uh, the you know, large amounts of money that the activist groups and and vegan groups are giving um, these stars or um, very big names just to say what they want them to be said and everybody believes it and they're not getting both sides of the story so um, and I think you know we're one of the big reasons not the only reason obviously uh, we've had a awesome conversation so far but um, we saw on Instagram and Facebook that 
you are a huge promoter of animal agriculture. That's very evident uh, from what we've talked about so far. Uh, but the biggest avenue you took was kind of uh, your reply, I should say, to the Ellen DeGeneres show and, and what Ellen said in her video about um, going meatless. And I think her hashtag was be neat, eat less meat or whatever. Um, and that really, I mean, before I even knew you were doing this, I saw your, hey, Ellen, let me uh, talk to you about my cattle, uh, your sign. So um, this is a huge <laughs> topic. We can talk along as about it as we want. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts of my own. We'll, I'll interject, but I don't want to interrupt you and keep you from it. So just tell us, walk us through your mindset, kind of when you saw that video, what your initial thoughts were, and then what made you want to get out in pasture and, and write that sign? Sure. Um, so I was on Instagram like Ellen and I had saw her video where she was telling people that they should eat less meat in order to save the planet and save the animals and to save our health. And she used that cute hashtag, be neat, eat less meat. And, you know, my first reaction was, oh, ignore it or don't give it any attention. Um, but then I just scrolled through the comments and, you know, she has millions of followers and there were so many people that were saying, Uh, I'm I'm not going to eat meat or I'm so glad you shared this or, you know, just awful things about who we are in agriculture, animal agriculture. And so I knew I had to respond. And, you know, so often our first reaction is to either get like angry and defensive or to laugh and just, oh, that stupid celebrity, you know, they don't know anything. (laughs) Neither one of those are really productive. I I think Ellen is an intelligent woman. Uh, She's a humanitarian. She promotes kindness and compassion. And, and I like to believe I'm a a kind person too. I'm, I'm a Christian and that's kind of the value system that I lead with in life. And so um, my open letter really was trying to connect to her on a personal level, um, show her a little bit of my heart and then weave in some of the information about beef nutrition and um, planetary health and how cattle actually improve the environment. And of course, how, animal welfare is impacted, whether you're eating salads or, or a burger. And, Mm -hmm. um, it was just kind of an open plea to, Hey, Ellen, give me a chance. Let me come on your show in a perfect world. She'd invite me on the show. I'd bring a bunch of books to donate to her audience and we'd dance a little bit and talk about cows. And, and I guess that was kind of my goal in writing that letter. Yeah, I, uh, I'm with you on that. And and we talked before we got on the mic here about, uh, and I've shared with with our audience we have here that I've been pretty defensive about our industry. And when somebody does that, um, I get a little defensive and a little heated. So I'm working on that to kind of take a step back. And, you know, I may be one of those people that says, hey, can you get that stroller out of the way? Um, so I'm really mm-hmm. working hard. And, and I encourage everybody else to either help me or do it with me is, you know, take five seconds and say, hey, this is what everybody's been talking about. This is the time for me to share. So every time I get on the microphone, the grand drive, everybody knows this. I share that story and just take time to educate people. Well, again, the first thought I had when I saw Ellen's video was what in the heck, you know, and personally, I, I wondered, and this is just my opinion here that I wondered how much money she was given to say those things because I, like you, I think she is a huge proponent of being nice to people. Uh, she's hilarious. I watched her stand up on Netflix, and it was it was hilarious. I loved it. Uh, yeah. And she does wonderful things. She donates all the time. 
Um, but then this is a this is a topic where we disagree on. And to me, it just seemed pretty unnatural uh, compared to what she usually is on her show, just kind of uh, having fun and being loose with the guests. But this was very prompted. Uh, it was kind of somebody else's words. And I didn't see her 1,000% believing in it, although I'm sure she she promotes it and maybe that that is her lifestyle but it just seemed like or made me think okay how much did she get pushed to do this you know um and it, she, she obviously agreed to do it so that, that that's part of it but um but yeah my initial thought was man i that is discouraging because uh, i hate to to promote somebody else that that doesn't really share both sides of the story so i don't know if any of her per- people know what Stock Talk is, but if they happen to click on this episode, please give Amanda the chance to get on that show because I would definitely record that episode and post it on everything that we have. You guys know how to dance. You could teach me maybe. Oh, because I keep saying I'll dance, Ellen, but it could be rough. <laughs> well, <laughs> I I think I know how to dance, um, but I. Th- People laugh at me when I dance, so it must not be that good. But hey, if I'm I'm making people laugh and I'm the butt of my own joke, so what? <laughs> yeah. I uh yeah, I, I, I did was... learn how to two step when I was down down in Texas. So there you go. That's about oh, all I'll I got. Be, I'll be calling you then. You <laughs> <teach me. Yeah. laughs> um and you know, I watched Ellen DeGeneres' Netflix special too. And I she's always kind of been a vegetarian or kind of off and on over the years. She has said things that I've kind of been aware of, but I was really I was pleasantly surprised when I watched her Netflix special because she kind of hedged backwards and was like, Hey, vegans don't hate me, but you know, I'm right. kind of off the bed now, you know, I was like, Oh, cool. And I, I thought that was really great. And then, yeah, like you said, this video came out and it did seem kind of scripted. And then last night I shared on Facebook, the wind was kind of knocked out of my sails a little bit, but she did have a sponsored segment on her show recently with a plant-based burger and I say burger in quotations, yeah. a plant-based patty company. Um, and so she probably has some sponsorships that even if she did hear my message, she wouldn't, you know, be able to have me on the show. But um by the week's end, I'll have done at least 20 media interviews. So I'm I'm still calling this a win because I'm able to talk about cows and greenhouse gases and get it in front of a lot of people, even if it's not in Ellen's, you know, on her platform. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Well, and and the thing that I love the most about your story and your efforts is I've often talked about we do so much preaching to the choir about how we need mm-hmm. to be advocate more and and you know, eating meat is is healthy for you and um you know, we're we're not abusing these animals, we're you know, these these livestock are very well taken care of. Um but that message doesn't get past us. Uh, a lot of times, you know, we, we talk about how much mm-hmm. we need to do it and then lo and behold, somebody actually does it and then it goes viral. Um, right. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, there needs to be more Amanda Radke's out there because mm-hmm. uh, it's a, it's a lot of battle for one soldier and, and we appreciate your efforts and hopefully we can uh, continue the conversation, you know, outside of our own industry. Well, thank you. It's, you know, it's an exhausting effort because I swear at least twice a week, uh, I'm writing about the, the cattle and climate change link or the beef nutrition side of things. And 
It's like you finally get something addressed and something new comes out. And so it's never ending. Um, and we need a lot of strong voices on this. And, you know, it's really easy to sit on the sidelines or just be comfortable and not want to talk outside of our pasture gates or, you know, our, our own circle of friends. But the reality is, is that our consumers will dictate whether we get to be in business, you know, in the next 10, 20, 50, 100 years. I mean, mm-hmm. they're the ones going to the voting box to decide our politicians who are in charge. Um, and by the way, there are many politicians right now who are running on the platform of climate change, and they're looking at uh, taxing emissions on producers or slapping sin taxes on meat. Um, so that's incredibly scary. And Do then you... also on the retail side. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Do you have the names of the people that you could share or are you willing to? Uh, sure. Well, I just blogged about it this week here. Um, so right now there's a pretty tight race with a lot of individuals who are coming out trying to get the Democratic ticket for the presidential nomination to run against Trump. Um, and a lot of them are, are running on that climate change platform. So uh, Cory Booker out of New Jersey, if you check out his Twitter account, he openly says eating meat doesn't align with his spirit, whatever that means. Um, we have Mayor de Blasio out of New York City. And this fires me up a lot because he has implemented meatless Mondays in New York City on the entire public school system. And to give you an idea of how bad of an idea this is, 75% of the kids in New York City qualify for free or reduced lunches. 10% of those kids that go to the New York City public schools are homeless. And so they're not getting good meals at home. And so to eliminate a nutritious product like beef off of the menu at the cafeteria, the one decent meal these kids might get in a day, I would go as far as to say that's child abuse. Yeah. Because you're imposing your political ideology, which is grounded not in facts and science, but in some elitist ideology, and you're hurting the very constituents, the food insecure and the impoverished that he was elected to serve. Uh, so that's pretty scary, but there's a whole list of them, and um, they're, campaign- they're on the campaign trail right now. In fact, they were just in Iowa, and in one breath, Andrew Yang is telling people that we should eat less meat, and he's going to tax emissions on producers. And then he turns around and serves thousands of steaks at a steak meet in Iowa. Uh, so he, he knows who he was serving, you know, he knows the his audience, but yet he doesn't quite understand the hypocrisy of, of what he just did. Uh, so yeah, there's lots of names and I cover, I cover that pretty heavily on my blog at beefmagazine.com as well. Yeah. And I hate to interrupt and you I there. Really fired up. Like, you yeah. guys got me heated up there. Wow. I love it. No, but the, the reason I hate to interrupt you and you were on a roll there, but I wanted people to hear the names because so many times they're like, oh, yeah, there's all of them out there. Politicians are politicians. But when they put a name with it and they go to that voter's box, they know the ones to avoid. That that was my mm-hmm. whole point there. So sorry to interrupt you there, but. That, hey, no, thank you. I, I'm glad to, I you know, you hate throwing people under the bus, but it's. It is what it is, and it's some scary stuff that they're saying. And it even, you know, remember Congresswoman AOC earlier this year with her Green New Deal and how she suggested we eliminate, you know, planes, trains, automobiles, and farting cows, yeah. you know. And and I have a really great friend named Brandy Buzzard who, she, God bless her, she had the heart to reach out with an open letter to her and find some shared values and kind of correct the misinformation about farting cows. And 
um, AOC did take that off of her website. And so I'm really proud of Brandy for um, being willing to work with someone who clearly, you know, kind of had an agenda against animal agriculture um, and sit down and have a conversation with her people. And so I'm not saying that the Andrew Yangs or the de Blasio's or the Bookers are lost causes. They're frustrating. Their policies are scary. But if we could just, um, you know, find it in ourselves to find our shared values and hear that they are concerned about the environment and nutrition, but then just get them the right information in front of them, um, you know, that's probably our better approach versus, you know, just being angry and writing them off completely. Because yeah. whether we like it or not, they're they're involved in politics and, and policy decisions. And um, yeah, so we need to be mindful at the voting box, but we also need to be willing to have conversations with people who have different experiences and different viewpoints than ourselves. Yeah, I mean, yeah. At, at least share the story, share the positive outlook, and just tell them the truth about animal agriculture and then let them decide if they decide to remain vegan or not eat meat at all. That's their lifestyle. <laughs> at least they know both sides. Rather, they take it to heart or not. But, you know, it's one thing to just hear what you want to hear. But you always have to see the other side. I, I'm always looking at animal activists and vegans and saying, what are they thinking? Like, what? Not, not in a negative sense. But, like, I want to know what they think when they go to the grocery store. You know, is it because, oh, I don't eat meat because they're being tortured? Or is it, I don't eat meat because it's unhealthy, which isn't true? So I think, mm -hmm. you know, that's that's my opinion. Again, I just kind of, I get heated on this deal too, if you <laughs> could notice. Right. So well, I, go ahead. I think it's important to remember too, or to, to really make clear that I don't care if Ellen is plant-based or eats differently than me. You know, I eat beef every day and I proudly give it to my kids and know it's nutritious. Um but so I don't care about that. I care about maintaining food, our freedom of food choice in this country. We don't live in a nanny state. I don't believe in sin taxes. Um, and I, I believe that the American producer, whether you're a farmer or a rancher, um, you know, whether you're raising pork and poultry or or cereal grains and vegetables, um, we can deliver safe, affordable, nutritious foods for the for our consumer to enjoy. And we need to let them decide what they want to eat and not have the government or celebrities try to dictate our eating, you know, habits for us. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and I think I, I was doing a little Facebook stalking. I'm not going to lie, Amanda. Um, I did some <laughs> Facebook stalking and, and I did see you shared a post um, similar to that exact sentiment is um, which I think a lot of people that listen to this show need to hear. And that is, you know, Okay, so what? Burger King has an Impossible Whopper. So what? There's the mm -hmm. there's the meatless uh, burgers out there. Uh, you know, I you say the term burger loosely, but right. <laughs> you got what I what I want our audience to understand is that it's it's literally fine. It's not going to kill the beef industry to have those options available. What is going to kill the beef industry is that it or or the livestock industry in general is is the misinformation and uneducated public that buys into the stories that this is a healthier option. This is better for the environment. These are, this is uh, better for animals when in all reality, that's not the case. And, and we need to share our story rather than saying, screw everybody that eats, you know, vegan burgers and, and meatless patties and all this other stuff. Because regardless, if somebody chooses to be vegetarian or vegan, uh, 
you know, that's their, that's their MO. If that's their, their core Mm -hmm. values, that's fine. And those options should be available to those people. But those are the people that are not going to, that are, (laughs) that are not eating meat already that are buying those options. Those aren't the people that are like, uh, you know, somebody that can be easily swayed or opinionated based on what they hear from one Mm -hmm. side or the other. And I will say on these, these plant-based patties, I think the hype from the media is greater than the demand. Mm -hmm. I I think, I don't think the health conscious consumer is going to bite. I think a lot of people are curious right now, so they're giving it a try, but um, I I don't think they're going to have the traction that they hope these investors. Um, And then we see, obviously uh, we hear a lot about the lab cultured patties, the the cell cultured proteins that are coming down the pike um, that basically suggest we're not going to need cattle at all in the future. We'll grow all of our meat in laboratories. Um, And so when we talk about burgers or, you know, chicken or whatever, by definition, um, you know, the, the government says meat is meat and, and the other things are, you know, substitutes. And so I, I really do think that the nomenclature matters and the truth and labeling matters. Um, if we look at the dairy industry, the dairy guy is really suffering right now, really struggling. And, uh, you know, 10 years ago or 15 now, we saw all the almond milks and cashew milks and oats and, and all these other substitutes. And they didn't need to be refrigerated, but they were put right next to the milk in the dairy aisle um, and sold as basically the same thing. And now today, um, almond milk is the most requested choice of creamer at Starbucks. And so um, to have these products being able to take our nomenclature, like the highly reputable beef or steak that, um, you know, producers paid for with our checkoff dollars to, you know, get that reputation with our customers. And then for them to be able to take that name and slap it on their you know, highly processed, obviously not beef burger and sell it side by side in the meat case. That is really frustrating. Um, but I, I will say, I think beef will remain king. I think pork and chicken and, um, you know, the real deal bacon, it's all pretty hard to beat. But like you said, there's so many misconceptions out there that I think our consumer goes to the grocery store and just feels guilty and feels like they probably should do the plant-based substitute because they've been told over and over again, it's healthier and better for the environment. Um, and that we're just awful people here in, in rural America. Mm. Yeah. And then you think about the companies like, uh, Arby's who made meat into vegetable shapes, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. So there's always <laughs> their, their carrots. Yeah. Their meat. I don't remember what they called it, but their meat carrots. I, yeah. I liked the merit. Yeah. The yeah. merit. I think. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, when your and slogan they, they said they're not, What's that? No, I was just going to say their slogan is we got the meat. So they kind of have to. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I appreciate that. And I'm happy to go through that drive through when I'm on the road because yeah. you get the best bang for your buck and they're not messing around with the, the weird substitute. Not at all. I hate to interrupt you guys because Amanda's on the roll advocating for agriculture as she does teaching you guys how to do that. But a quick interruption for a couple announcements. First, 20% off all t-shirts the full month of October, or should I say Stocktober. Go on our website, stocktalk-podcast.com, and use the coupon code 
Stocktober at checkout. That is S-T-O-C-K-T-O-B-E-R to get 20% off all t-shirts the full month of October. Secondly, next week's guest is an epic one, Miss Temple Grandin herself. We've been promoting this for weeks now. The time has finally come. Next week, Temple Grandin, make sure you tell your friends, your cat, your dog, your grandma, your grandpa, that's a good one, folks. But for now, we have another good one. Let's let Amanda finish. Hey, Amanda, I want to get your thought on something else. And this is completely unrelated to uh, livestock, but I do know that there's a lot of people uh, that listen to our show that have maybe drank a couple of bush lights in their day. What do you think about this whole this whole debacle with the Des Moines uh, Register and, and the national news attention that this has gotten? You know, I'm a trained journalist, um, and I'm saying this as someone who writes both news stories and blogs, but that newspaper should be ashamed of themselves to take a kid that turned just like something cheeky and funny did at a college game. Um, he raised a million dollars to help kids with cancer and for them to go like deep dive into him and get, do some gotcha journalism. They did it on purpose because of course now everyone's talking about their publication. Right. Everyone wants to go read what they wrote, but it's disgusting. It's immoral. And of course, you know, his tweet, if you took it literally, yeah, it probably wasn't the best, the best thing. Um, but the, those shows like that are satirical. He said it in quotations. I'm not condoning what he said, but to take away the good that he's doing in the world, um, it was just cheap and dirty journalism. And I, I do not appreciate it at all. And I don't think many people do, or I'd like, I haven't really heard anybody that's like, Hey, I love that, that publication. They did a great job. (laughs) (laughs) And he's not running for president. yeah, I, I'd Venmo him some money and I would actually earmark some for him to keep to pay for his college tuition or to invest in his retirement or whatever he'd want to do, because I think he's earned it. And I think he's got a good heart and his intentions were in the right place. So, yeah, just crazy. The world we're living in right now. Oh, I tell you. Yeah, I I uh, <laughs> I, I kind of wonder, too, you know, because obviously um, Anheuser-Busch pulled out you know, their, their association with him, but are still donating, you know, whatever efforts, you know, he, he pulls together and it's just comical to me, the, the amount of, of people uh, that they have frustrated uh, or Mm -hmm. quite frankly lost business on. And, and (laughs) I mean, they literally pissed off their majority of um, people that drink their beer. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you're, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't sometimes because these retailers get so many letters pressuring them to do one thing. I think that's half the reason why all these companies are carrying these plant-based burgers because the most vocal activists are just writing to them all day long. So I'm sure they got really pressured to pull their association with him. Yeah. And, and then now on the flip side, the the corn, corn and beef love and beer drinkers of the world are saying, I guess I'll grab a different brand of beer this yeah. weekend. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I don't know if it's going to work out for them. Well, I yeah. did see that the governor of Iowa now has a Carson King day and she, I, oh, yeah, I think it was like this morning, uh, my fiance Emily showed me, but she said, uh, the, the governor said, Something about, you know, what's in the past is in the past. We're very proud of what he did to help sick kids, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and he had a certificate and everything and was smiling with the governor of Iowa. So it was it was kind of a nice 
nice dig at the publication. But, you know, good things mm-hmm. come out of bad stories. And I think this is anything but a bad story. I think it's, I think the kid deserves yeah. it. That's, yeah. that's well, what's we, so I mean, crazy. We can, all, we can all learn and grow and become better people. But to, you know, to take a kid who is actually out in the world doing something good and to try to find something bad about him, it just, I it just I don't understand those type of people, and that and that maybe would deter the next kid from doing something amazing and incredible. Um, so I commend him for raising this money and helping kids with cancer and the unimaginable stress these families are facing as they're trying to fight through this battle. Um, he's doing really great things in the world, and so we need more people like that that are willing to stick their necks out and and do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it, the craziest thing to me about all this is just how quick the media can make your life public. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- this was a normal <laughs> college student, just a fan of football and and cold beer, and this one sign and one effort just exposed his entire life. And and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that that know who Carson King is now because of all this. Yeah. Well, he's, he's got a really memorable name for one. I mean, he needs to be on TV or something because yeah. his name's real catchy <laughs> for one. But, but yeah, I mean, I think he's he's probably going to have some detractors now. But I really hope some opportunities come his way as far as future jobs and and things of that nature because I I think his heart's in the right place. And and yeah, it really does make you think. Well, what did I tweet? a decade ago. Am I going to be embarrassed about it? You know, like I said, Facebook was brand new when I was a freshman in college. So it's, you just never know what a dumb kid like me might've said, (laughs) you know, that long ago. That's so crazy. Well, and I think people honestly, you know, to, to circle it back to the livestock deal is, is, you know, uh, I guess something like that, if it were to happen, obviously I don't think it could happen on, uh, as large of a scale, but maybe it could given the type of activists we have out there. But I mean, my gosh, if, if somebody were to, to raise money for, um, you know, a big livestock show or something and, and Peter HSUS jumped in and, and dug up some history on people, you know, that's uh, yeah. something to think about what you do. Yep. Right. Right here, right here in South Dakota. I got to give a plug. There's a organization called the South Dakota Cattlemen's Foundation, and they put on the primetime gala every June and they raise money uh, to buy beef for the food banks in South Dakota. And so it's, it's a really incredible outreach. And I mean, there's all kinds of things like that. There's the Cowboys Who Care Foundation and they, they buy um, custom resist all cowboy hats to give the kids fighting cancer um, we have the All-American Beef Battalion started by a Vietnam vet, and he serves steaks to the troops coming, you know, deploying and coming home. And since he started, I think he's pushing about 400,000 ribeyes that he's served Jeez. to our military wow. women. I mean, there's just incredible people in our industry right now. And those are the stories that I I just love to write about and I love to spread the word on because um, they are doing good in this world. And like, I, like I've said many times, I think our hearts are really big in rural America if people just had a chance to get to know us and, and meet us. You betcha. Well, Corey, I think it's time for another segment. Sure is. Social Smash. Brought to you by Brad Howe Ford. Let's see if I can get a good read this time, Trev. All right. Get the marbles out of your mouth. If you get in a fender bender, happen to smash your vehicle. Maybe you should visit Brad Howe Ford in Kokomo, Indiana. Not maybe. You definitely should. It's time to upgrade to a new truck. 
cruise into that next show, hauling that trailer with a brand new shiny vehicle from Brad Howe Ford. They have award-winning customer service that will lead you in the right direction on your next vehicle purchase. Thank you to Brad Howe Ford, sponsor of our social smash segment. Great job, bud. Well, if you are a fan of the show, you know exactly what uh, Social Smash is, and I'm sure you have a laundry list, as most of our guests do, but uh, Amanda, we want to hear them pet peeves. (laughs) Well, you know, I don't know if I'd call them pet peeves as much as things that I'd like to shift in the way people talk about um, livestock on social media. So, you know, a lot of your audience obviously shows livestock, whether that's cattle or hogs or, or sheep. Um, but so often we talk about these animals like they are our pets. Um, and they kind of are in a way we spend so much time with them. They have names. Um, you know, we love them. We spend a lot of money on them. We travel with them. Um, and at the end of the day, these market projects end up in the freezer, right? So it's, it's a really tough, segue because when the consumer or someone at, you know, whether it's on social media or at the county or state fair or whatever um, comes up to you and we're talking about our, our beloved show steers, like they're a pet and a member of our family. um, That's a pretty hard switch then to say, well, how I love my dog and my cat, like they're a member of my family. How can you possibly eat your pet. And so we've seen articles over the years where it says 4-H is breeding cold-blooded killers. Um, And so that, yeah, that would be a big one for me. And um, I know I mentioned this to you guys on email, but years ago, I think it was 2013 when the the fluffy cows kind of came out, there was a a Lautner club calf sire that hit the news and it was on all the major outlets. And it talked about what a cute teddy bear he looked like. (laughs) And, um, I worked with the Lautners during that time to kind of spin the conversation and, and direct, you know, the social media talk and the media buzz in a better direction, I guess, or a more productive direction. So we went back to the drawing board and we started highlighting the kids and the hard work and the dedication and the discipline, the leadership, the passion, the respect for the circle of life, you know, all those good things that you can't place a dollar value on. And, and we, we did features on, on junior show members and, and what they, what made them so great. Um, and yeah, so, so the pet, the pet angle, I guess would be my biggest pet peeve. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I don't, what do you guys think of all that? I love it. I I, th- I think that there's, there's a lot of people out there that, that eat, honestly, there's people out there that show livestock too that are like, Oh, my, my pigs are so cute. I love them all. Like, and I get that. I totally do. I mean, there's special ones out there that you're, you're drawn to and, and have a relationship with. And and these animals have unique personalities, but at the end of the day, we have to realize that their purpose on earth is not to be a pet. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I think, I think when the consumers view them as pets, that's when we get that negative narrative of oh we're we're like you said uh we're raising cold-blooded killers that's exactly what i was gonna say yeah so <laughs> but that's, and you know those show calves look so awesome i mean they they've got the hair and they're clipped to perfection and they they do look the part of a you know cute and cuddly teddy bear from from the you know random person in the crowd's eyes point of view so um they're they're beautiful um but at the the same time 
I understand why they make that leap and how that then becomes a really hard thing for them to understand. Well, how could I eat that really cute and cuddly little calf? You know, it's <laughs> yep. just, it's tough. Yeah. And exactly. you always hear, you know, oh, we, well, we don't eat hair. Why do they need all the hair? And I mean, heck, there's county fairs that don't allow you to, to clip them out. It's kind of a, you know, fit free show or whatever. Well, that all may be true, but I think, you know, it is a show animal. And they have to have those extras. They have to be polished. They have to be clipped right. Same thing with the hogs. You know, they have to be clipped. They have to be uh, extra, extra clean and sparkly. Weathers, you know, they have to be clipped right. And their feet are now being fit up. Goats, they're using some uh, adhesives now. And they're really getting them looking awesome. These are show animals. But we also have to keep mm-hmm. in mind where, okay, yeah, at the end of the day, that hair does come off. It, it's, on the, it's on the kill floor. And that is that. So it's also our job to keep them uh, production oriented enough with muscle, mm-hmm. with with not as much fat, um, but yet have enough for the marbling and and everything in between. So we actually, you know, in the commercial industry, it's it's not a knock on that at all because that's what they're focused on is numbers and right. what what that what that carcass looks like. Or not only should I'll say should. We keep that in mind, but we also have to think about uh, the exterior of that animal and what it looks like. So just kind of a, maybe mm-hmm. a side street there, but um, they may, they well, may look like, cute. But... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Well, it's just like putting on a suit for a job interview. I mean, you're taking your best cattle or livestock, you're going to the show and you're presenting it to the best of your ability. It's an art. It's It's fun. And that's where the hard work, that's where the the sweat and tears and that's where the youth are developed is on the day-to-day growing the hair, training the hair, learning to clip and present their animals. And in turn, as they're doing that, they're learning how to present themselves and be professional yep. and dress the part. And uh, you see a lot of kids running around today and they don't really look like they deserve the job or they don't <laughs> look the part. And I think 4-H and FFA youth look like they could step into any leadership role or any job um, because they've learned how to present themselves in a professional way from a very young age. Mm. Well, I, I've sometimes I fail to realize how many friends I have on social media that aren't involved uh, directly in ag or or understand mm-hmm. what the show industry is like. And so, bringing it back to that that you know fluffy cow movement, if you will, uh, no pun intended, but. There's a, there there was a there's a lot of people on my feed. There, I mean, I'm I'm fr- Facebook friends with some some vegan and and vegetarian folks. Some some people that are uh, on on kind of the hard left of of the you know animal animal rights industry. And, and so that's you know I got to keep in mind too when I'm making a social media post about our our, our club lambs or whatever um, that those people could end up seeing that. And so I got to be careful with, with how I word things. And, um, you know, and I think everybody should just be conscious of that. And, uh, you know, Car- the Carson King story is a, is a great example because anything that you put out there on social media is there forever. Yeah. Unless Absolutely. You it, of course. But. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we're approaching the end of our, Awesome, awesome conversation here, and we hope we're not taking too much of your time. So if we get a little wordy, just let us know. You need to get uh, back to your normal routine there. But uh, a question we definitely want to get to, and we've kind of touched on this already, but what would you tell some of the producers or even our listeners 
on how they should voice their thoughts towards those vegans and animal rights activists? Well, you know, if, if people want their eyes open to what these folks will say to you, um, go friend me. Well, follow me on Facebook. I've maxed out on friends this week, but go follow me on Facebook and go check out some of my recent posts and you will see some of the worst comments um, that people could say to another human being. Um, it's, it's just incredible to me how they can come and claim to be compassionate and morally superior and then in the same breath threaten to kill you or, you know, threaten your family. Um, it's just incredible to me. Um, and of course, as a Christian, I, I value humanity far more than, than I elevate the status of any animal. Um, so that's just interesting to me to read. Uh, but I would tell folks, my best advice is number one, if the trolls have found you, it means you're on the right track because you've triggered them somehow and they want you to stop talking. And so that means you're saying the right things and getting the right message out there to the people who really need to see it. Um, and two, focus on the 95% of folks that just genuinely want to learn where their food comes from. And the hard truth is, is you're not going to hear from those people. They're just quietly reading and observing. And if you're cool, calm and collected and you lead with kindness and the facts, um, nobody can really fault you for it. So they, they look crazy and, and you look reasonable. And hopefully that reality kind of rings true as they're reading through the comments and, and seeing the, the dialogue between the activists and, you know, the good hearted people in rural America. Mm, yeah, it's a, it's a good point. And like, it goes back to a lot of our, uh, our conversation, you know, just be mindful, see both sides and you probably get more of a conversation than you want an argument. Mm-hmm. And I think finding those shared values. So there are things that we care about too. We care about family farms. We care about nutrition and health and safety and the environment and animal welfare. Like we, we have those same values that our consumers have because we are consumers too. And so if we can find, you know, listen to what our consumer is really worried about and then bridge the gap with our own personal stories um, that kind of endears us to that person um, that can make an incredible difference. And so I have a good example of that. I was on my way home from a trip to New York City a few years ago, and I had on my cowboy boots and was kind of reading, kind of minding my own business. And this guy came down and sat next to me, and he looked at my boots and he said, are you a cowgirl? And well, yeah, you know, I raised cattle in South Dakota. And and uh, he said, well, I've never met a cowgirl before. And and I said, well, what do you do? And he said he lived in New York City and he worked on Wall Street. And I asked him, well, are you guys all as crooked as you sound in the news? And and uh, he said, yes, actually. So just FYI, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you've been warned, I guess. But, uh, you know, then he said, well, what do you want to know about us? And, you know, all jokes aside, we had an interesting conversation about Wall Street and, and about agriculture. And we exchanged business cards and kind of went on our merry way. And then the next week, um, Pink Slime hit the news. If you guys remember, oh yeah, uh, BPI's mm-hmm. finally touched beef. Yep. So um, that ended up being being like the biggest court case in United States history. And and uh, Disney, the ownership company of ABC, ended up having to settle out of court with BPI because it basically just destroyed their business there for a while. But anyway. Pink Slime hit the news and I get an email from this New York City guy and he wanted to know the real story from the rancher that he had met. And so that was 
2012, 13-ish. Um, and just this week, he reached out to me again about this Ellen situation. And so you just never know when you might have an engagement or an encounter with someone that gets to meet you and get to know who you are. And and once they have that opportunity, if they have a feel-good experience, um, then you become a resource for, you know, forever and ever, hopefully. So that's one of my success stories, or I always like to tell that story because it's one of the times where it works and you saw immediate results and sometimes you won't see those results or you'll never know you know if you're reaching the right people with the right message but every once in a while you you get a little reassurance that you did the right thing yeah i i i've i've often wondered though uh just because sometimes it happens to me and i think it could happen to other people is you get discouraged when like the really uh heavily involved animal rights activists are, you know, just ripping the industry apart and and you can't even have a civil conversation with somebody. It discourages me from actually trying to go out and spread the message sometimes because I'm like, these people are just going to hate on me the whole time. Mm -hmm. And you never know if you're going to reach somebody, but you know, I think you got to have the mindset of, um, you know, if there, if you could just change one person's viewpoint or educate one person, you've done something positive. Mm-hmm. Went and, you know, that picture of me with the sign holding up, asking Ellen if I could come on her show. Um, I had one vegan guy Photoshop it to say, Ellen, can I t- come to your show and talk about how I murder animals? <laughs> Sincerely, a South Dakota psychopath. And, you know, I thought that, like, oh, that was a pretty good one, you know, because they, they get creative sometimes. Um, but I just choose not to engage because it's, it's like pushing a button on a kid's toy. You don't know how to take the batteries out on. I mean, they will just keep going if you engage. And so I mostly just ignore them. Um, it's really great to see other people kind of come to your defense, but I almost feel like it just makes it worse sometimes because it can really escalate out of hand in a, in a hurry. Um, so yeah, those people are going to feel the way they feel no matter what you say. And so, you know, really just focusing on, on the middle and and the curious people that want to learn more is where your time is best spent. Mm-hmm. I will say too, a lot of, you hear a lot of these state fairs and like the PETA groups have been targeting kids at the, events and you know whether it's untying animals in the middle of the night or you know messing with the livestock or you know harassing the kids and it's just disgusting and it's horrible and I just want to warn people to be careful out there when you're traveling with your kids and and your livestock because it does happen it's not often but you know maybe these shows need to have more security at night or you know more patrols just because of that threat and you know you'd hate for something bad to happen to to a critter um during the middle of the night when these activists think they're doing something something noble or they're trying to get media attention for for what they're up to Mm -hmm. yep absolutely well trevor i guess that leaves me to ask the last question uh yep sorry (laughs) uh amanda we often battle back and forth because uh this last question is is a tough one uh, because nobody has a crystal ball, but it's always interesting to get people's thoughts on. So where do you see the show stock industry in five years? This is such a hard one. And I've, I've listened to your podcast and heard some of the responses from your other guests. And it's always, it, like you said, it's always interesting to hear. Um, 
I guess for me, I, I don't know. I, I think if I did, I'd probably be doing something a little higher paying than blogging. But <laughs> I, uh, um, you know, for, for me and my family within the next couple of years, our oldest daughter will be 4-H eligible and will be showing. And I hope that, that ourselves and families like ours will continue to invest the money and spending time doing a family-based you know, activity together where they're spending every day in the barn working on something together, a shared goal that they have, and then going to these shows and showcasing not only their best livestock, but um, the youth that they've, that these families have developed, you know, through the course of this project. Um, and I like, I would like to see this show stock industry continue to um, promote genetics that work in and out of the show ring. And I'd like to see these feedstock producers like like myself, you know, continue to be there to advertise, you know, their best genetics and, and what they have in their programs, because I, I think that's an important part as well. So I think there's a lot of good and I think there'll be a lot more good yet to come. And if we just continue to remain focused on developing strong youth with solid moral character, I think that's really where the best banners are won. Yeah. Oh, that's a good quote, Trev. I should write that down. I already did. (laughs) (laughs) Make it into a t-shirt for me, will you? Oh, great idea. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. And then we'll, we'll put, uh, what we should do is we should Photoshop your, your sign and just put it on a t-shirt and send it out to people. Oh yeah. Hey, there you go. And I've, I've got to give my husband photo credit on that too, because I, I had to hurry up and get to a speech. I was speaking at South Dakota State to the Black and Bridal Club. And I said, hurry up, take my picture quick. And then I got to go. So I had to drag him out there and pose. And, you know, he kind of grumbled about that. But but now he's, he shouldn't have his photo credit on, on all these pictures everywhere. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, we uh, yeah. truly appreciate you taking time out of your ultra busy schedule and uh, sharing your story, your thoughts. And, man. I don't, if somebody didn't get anything out of this, I don't know if they have a set of ears. Uh, just an ultra good story. Uh, we truly appreciate what you're doing for our industry. Uh, folks listening, uh, check out her website and what she's doing. Uh, lots of good reads. I've started uh, reading through some of the blogs myself. So really, really good stuff. Thanks so much, Amanda. Thank you for having me. And, and I sure appreciate it. I didn't say this earlier, but I really appreciate you taking a moment during champion drive to talk about these issues too, because these kids look up to judges and you guys have a really unique platform when you're at the shows um, to really make a huge impact. So thank you for doing that. Oh, you bet. It's a small portion compared to what you're doing, but Hey, any, any size matters, right? (laughs) Bet. Well, thank you guys. I hope we get to meet at a show down the road. You bet. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, before we go, this is going to put you on the spot, but I feel like, I feel like you could offer some some good uh, maybe advice or or topics of discussion. Uh, we interview um, with uh, an industry legend, uh, Miss <laughs> Temple Grandin, uh, here in a couple weeks. Uh, any okay. question? Any questions relevant to the show stock industry that you think we should ask her? Oh man, I love Temple. I think she's done so much good for the industry. I have an old blog post about her and you don't have to ask her about this, but just a side note, I, um, she had written about how we need to teach our, our livestock to have natural predator instincts again, um, to protect against like wolves or coyotes or whatever. 
And I did a blog post with my dad weighing a calf with the mama cow, you know, right there, but, you know, not killing him or beating up on him. And I said, no, Temple, I think, I think we'll stick to focusing on disposition. (laughs) Um, So aside from that, I I love Temple's work. I think she's contributed a great amount to this beef industry. In fact, today, if you go on Facebook, there's a video um, of her explaining why she wouldn't be a vegetarian. Uh, so I think she oh. would have some great insights on why that beef cow is so important and, and why beef belongs in the diet too. So uh, she has a wealth of knowledge in a lot of areas, but maybe ask her about that. Why the, build the case for eating meat from Temple Grandin. Yeah, that'd be cool. Mm. I'm writing stuff down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. As always, follow us on all your social media outlets. Trevor and I are getting a new website built, uh, and it should hopefully be up rather quickly. Um, And it's going to have a lot of new cool features on it that you guys have yet to see. Uh, Continue to send us in those social smashes and topics from a hat. We love getting your feedback also on how we're doing. So visit stocktalk-podcast.com. Get your merchandise. you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, uh, birthdays, great, great op, uh, opportunities there for you guys as well. You betcha. Well, this has been another awesome edition of Stock Talk. We appreciate every single one of you. Thanks for listening. This has been another edition of Stock Talk. I gotta go. I gotta go.